That was just beautiful. Didn't even want her to stop. Thank you, Darla. Praise God. If you would, please, turn to Matthew chapter 18. And just put your Bible ribbon or welcome card there. And uh, we'll turn to that somewhat later. It's going to be a little untraditional for me. Typically, we work directly through a passage. This will be much more topical, talking, uh, speaking to the topic of membership and that membership really matters. I know for a lot of you, this is preaching to the choir. And uh, many have been members here for a long time, have been members of other churches, are considering membership here, considering what that involves, the level of commitment Uh, and what have you. Yet even for us members who believe in membership and believe that it matters, it's good to have a reminder. It's good to have a reminder to come back to and say, why are we concerned about church membership? And and church membership, it's a topic that is is dear to virtually every pastor's heart. It truly is. And, And I suppose some feel that there are reasons for that, such as, you know, if the church membership role is... Is, is higher, it makes the pastor feel real good about themselves. Or, or possibly, you know, it's easier to manipulate members into uh, giving more money if, they, if they're part of something they belong to. Or perhaps uh, it's a mechanism. It's a mechanism. Once you get them to be a member, uh, then they can't leave the church. You know, and they assign, you know, motives to the pastor uh, like that. And, and I honestly can't say that there are no pastors that, that, that believe to some level those things, but not here. And I don't believe those things. I personally don't find any basis in those types of claims. Uh, if a pastor felt uh, successful merely by numbers, he wouldn't be talking uh, about formal membership and encouraging people to formal membership. He'd be dismissing membership and just being filling an arena of non-members if you really want to feel good about attendance. Uh, if he felt that it was a way that they could uh, manipulate people into giving more money. We don't talk or preach a lot about money. We talk about it when the Scripture talks about it. We believe that generosity is prompted by the Holy Spirit when people see something they want to be involved with, not by man's manipulation. People can sense that. So it's not about money. The Holy Spirit, we don't control. And formal membership, to my knowledge, has never prevented anyone from leaving a church. So we can dismiss that one. But for some reason, in the last 30 years especially, there's been an increasing repudiation. That that is a refusal or a denial of Christians towards membership, towards expressing any attachment or any formal commitment to a local church. Supposedly, the Bible never calls anyone to be a member of a local church. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 didn't dismiss that view from you. I'm going to try a little bit harder here later. I'm going to try to dispel that myth. What's astonishing is with many of these same people who dismiss church membership, they're opposed to church membership. Actually, they feel it's more spiritual to not be a member of a church, if you can believe that. These same people sometimes proudly display their AAA membership, their AARP card, their Sam's Club, their political party. How about the NRA card? Proud member since. You'd put in the date. 
And, and if they happen to see a flyer that comes through the mail for, for a checking account with, with free checking and, and online banking included with it, they, want, they run right in there and they say, I want to know how I can become a member. And then they go on to sign 12 pages of legal documents that they can't understand and sign at the bottom, I'm a member. Or you go to Sam's Club, wholesale jeans, whatever you want to get. Say, how do I sign up to become a member? Yet when they look at the local assembly of Christ's redeemed people, the ones that he died for, he shed his blood for, those who are Christians, brothers in the, in the, in the faith, they say, ah, Jesus would never expect me to be any contributing member to the local church. Any, any committed member anyhow. Really? Really? You know, I'm no way comparing AAA to the church. What I'm trying to do is make a point about people who are willing to be members in things that are infinitely less important than Christ's church. We'll quickly join things that really have no eternal significance in comparison to the church. And I'm going to add that, you know, a proper hesitation towards church membership, I would say that is appropriate, even needed. And let me go uh, a step more uh, before we go any further. That uh, for you here, those who've attended, um, maybe perhaps for some time, that, uh, that we're not trying to trick people into membership, force people into membership. We don't want people to join unless their heart is into joining. But we need to talk about membership itself. We by no means want to demoralize, devalue, depreciate, demotivate anyone who hasn't become a church member. That's not what this is about. It's about looking at Scripture and looking at doctrine. But a hesitation towards membership, that's healthy. A period of reflection on the church you're attending, that is healthy. You want to find out who they are organizationally. You want to know what their mission is all about, especially in biblical doctrine. You want to make sure that you are in ballpark. You know, for some here, who might come from a, a similar, similar theological heritage as us. We, we, we uh, respect uh, St. Augustine, the Reformers, you know, Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and, and those greats of centuries past. And if you, if you come into the modern era, and, and you think of folks like Charles Swindoll, and Alistair Begg, and the Reverend Al Mohler, these type of people, if you're in the same ballpark with us on that, it might not take but a few weeks. You're like, you know what? I'm jumping in. I remember Bud and Margaret. When they first came, they didn't waste any time. They were here about three or four weeks, and they said, we want to become members. And I'm, that's, that's a little unusual. And I said, really? Are you sure? And they're like, oh, we're sure. They knew what they were looking for. Their church that they had down south prepared them. They knew what they were looking for when they had to relocate to another place. And that's what we're hoping to do for you here at Port St. Lucie Bible Church is equip you to understand church membership. Others, some are still developing doctrine, perhaps haven't been a Christian for very long, maybe have come from a different background. Uh, It may take them longer, much longer, to find out whether they're a fit. If you're here today and you're looking for preaching like Ken Copeland or Creflo Dollar, you're in the wrong church. That's just not who we are. It's easy to discern. 
So we're not going to rush anyone into membership. Joining local church is a covenant commitment that must be weighed thoughtfully. And I have a few copies if you'd like to afterwards to step up and grab a church covenant. I have enough even for members if they want to refresh themselves about what our church covenant commitment looks like. But we, it's good to have a healthy hesitation. You know, when Rita and I were on vacation here in the past couple of weeks, being the shrewd bargain hunter that I am, I'm good at that, I came across an online offer, and it said that for $59, I could have a, a hotel room the night before our cruise, right by the cruise ter- terminal, and they would throw in free shuttle and free parking for the time that we're out on the cruise. And, uh, and, and then I processed this transaction thinking what a good deal I got because I was familiar with the, with the uh, motel. And I think in this transaction, I got a phone call. And they hadn't process, processed my card yet. They, they said to me, it's like, well, before we process the transaction, we, we need you to know with this offer that you need to agree to attend a 60-minute presentation. I said... I'm still in. I'm still in. And, and we drove up and, you know, Rita and I looked each other in the eye in the car before we went in. And, and uh, we, we told ourselves, we aren't becoming members of nothing. <laughs> and, and then we sealed it with our, with our private handshake. <laughs> we had our secret pact. And we went and we signed in and they took us into this back room and, and, it, and it had large posters and pictures on the wall of exotic destinations like, like Fiji and Hawaii. And they had Caribbean music playing in the background. And I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good. And she's like, snap out of it. <laughs> Apparently my mind was departing into places we probably couldn't afford. So at, at Rita's beckoning, I set my face like Flint. I was going to endure the 60 minutes without wavering. I tell you, I was a rock. I was, I was a rock. And then after enduring some level of pressure, some manipulation, at the end, a young lady informed us that this lifetime membership, this this membership in this steeply discounted wholesale travel club is a -a once-in-a-lifetime offer. You must sign up today. And for a mere $6,995, plus a $339 maintenance fee annually, we could begin planning our next vacation immediately. I thought to myself, it's like 7000 bucks. Now friends, that's nearly double what we charge here for a lifetime membership at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. I realize we're not going to make that kind of decision the first time we ever meet. So we politely declined after several hundred times. The young lady permitted us to leave. It wasn't all that bad. Membership shouldn't be taken lightly. It should not be taken lightly. There should be a period of reflection to get to know us. Eventually, at some point, though, you need to make the determination. Are you an attached member of any local church? Any. Are you attached? Are you a member? Because here's my premise today, that the Bible is very clear on this. Very clear. You must be a member of the universal church. You must be baptized into the universal church by the Holy Spirit in order to be a Christian. 
Very clear on that. You must be in the body of Christ, the universal church, to be a Christian. But you must also be a member of a local church to be in God's will. The Bible's very clear. To be in God's will, you must be a member of a local church. There's no question biblically about either of these tenets. You see it all over Scripture. Local churches having distinct identities, personalities, problems that they're facing. Even personnel are listed out in letters. Writing to distinct people, the apostles did. Distinct congregations with members. It could have been Philippi, Thessalonica. You've got Jesus writing to the seven churches in Revelation. Smyrna, each one of them having unique problems. He's not, he's not talking to the universal church there. In these letters, uh, the, the, past, uh, the apostles are speaking to unique congregations of real live people like you and me that have bound themselves together to further the gospel. They're always asking for a response whether it were the Corinthians or others. And in fact, to obey the plethora of commands given by our Lord Jesus Christ and His Apostle. They're all broadly designed to function within the commitment of a local body. And the multitude I could probably cite, I'm going to give you just three. And all three of these are in our church covenant. I think there's nine items in there. These three here, uh, let's just start with one. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That means give an account for you, for watching over your souls. Who are the leaders that you identify as watching over you? Watching over your souls? Who are they? Uh, If you haven't completed uh, any membership application here, spoken to us about it, you, you really haven't demonstrated or notified us that you feel that you're an attached member to this church. You haven't demonstrated that you're under the guidance of our elder board or our pastoral staff, the leaders who Scripture commands you to, to, uh, to be under the headship of. Um, uh, according to 1 Peter 5.3, those who are allotted to your charge, he says to the elders, who are you allotted to? Who have you allotted yourselves to? These are all questions that are Difficult to answer if you aren't a member of a local church. Second, how about the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper? Corinth, as we said earlier, were abusing these ordinances. They were intended to provide mutual edification for one another. They were designed to promote unity among the body. And they were misusing both of these as sectarian devices to separate people into exclusive little groups to the exclusion of other Christians. We do our little thing over here. You can go do your other thing wherever. And it became so repulsive, if you remember, that God had snatched the life out of some. Because they were using the ordinances to destroy unity. So I'd have to ask then, why did Paul say, Therefore, when you come together to eat, speaking of the Lord's Supper, you wait for one another so that you can avoid God's judgment. You wait for one another. It's something you do together. It's something you come together to do as as a body. The ordinances are to to promote unity. So when you partake of the Lord's Supper, are you in unity with us? We do that the first Sunday of every month. 
Are you in unity? Are you in disunity? Do you see yourselves in unity? How is that demonstrated if you refuse to identify yourself as a member of this church or any other? How does that work? Let's do one more. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Don't forsake the assembly. You know, the same passage, this same passage includes in that that we assemble together regularly to stimulate and encourage one another. Remember that, Hebrews 10.25. Who do you commit yourself to assemble with regularly? Who are you going to weekly, is the pattern we see in the New Testament, regularly is commanded. Who, who do you identify yourself as assembling with? Who's that identifiable community of believers who you say, I am part of them and I'm going to assemble them in obedience to Scripture? You know what some people say? I just float around. Yeah, you know, I go from church to church this Sunday, that Sunday. You know, this way I can be an encouragement to more people. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah, I spread my blessings around to lots of people. Apparently the blessings, are, they're like pixie dust. And you just go around and you just kind of spread your blessings on people. Hmm. As if their blessings were that big of a benefit when they're there every fourth or fifth Sunday. Where's the mutual encouragement of others? That's not a blessing. You know what would be a blessing? If we would all do what Jerry Robertson says. Jerry Robertson says, why don't you just grab a root and growl? He's talking about membership. He says, get on board. Shoulder some of the burden. Grab on and growl. Become part of something. Then you'd be a blessing to the church. That's a fact. That's what Jerry and Carolyn Robertson did. They came, they determined over a period of time, they line up closely enough in doctrine, they became members, they're great encouragers, they're very complimentary, um, Jerry has a wonderful sense of humor, they have a joy in the Lord that's just contagious when you get to know them. That's a blessing, and the fact is they're here every Sunday. Where's Jerry? It's Jerry's birthday this week. I just wanted to use that as an illustration in the fact that, uh, you know, they went off. He said, hey, we're going to be gone for a few days. We're heading out. We got something going on. That happens, doesn't it? Just to, just to demonstrate to you folks, we're not legalistic about that stuff. We're not. We're church's understanding. We know that life goes on. We want to, you to enjoy your life, enjoy your retirement. Many of you have come up from up north. We aren't taking role every week. Who's here? Who's not here? We're not that way. That's not the type of church we are. Carolyn, she volunteers in the nursery. Jerry, he made himself available for whatever. He really did. He's a retired firefighter, and he can do everything. He did upholstery here uh, last year. He's, he's been at the church painting. He, uh, he also has got a pole saw that he comes out, and he'll trim trees at the front and, and cut things back. And, and um, over time, he was here, and as a result of that, being part of the body, being plugged in with the body, Gerald and I got to know him pretty well. And you know, when you, when you talk to him for a while, it's like, you learn that, Jerry, you've got really good theology. I mean, you got your Bible straight. You understand what it is teaching. Have you ever taught before? 
Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I taught back when I was in my old church back in Illinois before I retired. Really? Heard that? If you remember, if you were here, we started doing an evening series um, that I asked Jerry if he would co-teach with me. I said, Jerry, would you alternate every week? You know, he got in there and he knocked the rust off. We heard about the parable of the lawns. If you remember that one. And he did really, really good. He's got a great personality. He knows how to properly handle the Word of God. And then, and, and then when it came time to start a new Bible Life series, and, and uh, Nathan had been wearing a lot of hats. He'd been shouldering a lot of burden, doing a lot of different things in a great way. But he needed some help. And we asked Jerry, you know what? Would you shoulder that burden and wear a hat? We've seen you can teach. Will you pick up the hat and wear it? And he goes, oh man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Nathan. We don't want you to be Nathan. We want you to be Jerry. He's been doing a great job with that. Uh, They became members, Jerry and Carolyn. They showed themselves faithful, made themselves available. We observe that they're teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. We talked about that before. They're fat. You can tell them that when they get back. Fat people. Fat people. Faithful, available, teachable. Other members who don't forsake the assembly of the saints, just to be straight up honest, they also stimulate the body. Faye Ritzy. Many like her who are faithful. You see them every week. I look at faces around here. Lori Albright, all kinds of folks. Carolyn Wagemaker over there. Each week they're coming. They're, they're here to give you a hug. They're here to encourage you. They're here because they love the body of Christ. You know, when Faye is absent, we're worried about it. It's like, where's Faye? And we're concerned because of, of the enormous... Uh, Love that she has for her body, for the body. If she's gone, something's abnormal. Will you agree with me? There's other folks that you'll run into when they're gone. Everything's normal. Always gone. And and sometimes people will lament, you know, well, it's like they've been gone a lot. It's like, why didn't anybody call me? You're not usually here. It wasn't odd. Someone who was here regularly and they're gone, that's someone who uh, you know... uh, you know that you need to check up on. Because their mode of operation isn't to miss. People get concerned. Uh, Ramona Stokes, Carol Thomas, Gene Klein. They don't miss church. They're here for the body. And, and even many of them, they'll tell us, you know, I'm going in for surgery next week. They don't wait around to see if anybody find, you know, checks on them. They're like, I'm going to be gone. I'm going on vacation. Bud and Margaret did that. We're going on vacation, so you know. Jerry, we're going on vacation. They let us know. There's communication going on. Because they know that people realize they're here regularly. They don't want people to worry. They want people to be encouraged. See the striking contrast there? Between those attitudes of never being here and wondering why people don't call. And being here all the time. And preempting that call. Just amazing the different attitudes that we see. They know that Pastor Weiler and myself are not clairvoyant. We're not clairvoyant, right? Good. We're good. We're not. Now, we don't always notice who's missing every week. There's a lot of faces, a lot of different faces that come through. Um, But if you're a regular contributing member of this body, somebody's going to notice. Somebody's going to know that you're gone, and they're going to draw it to our attention. And we're going to be concerned, and we're going to check up on you. Uh, The point is, generally, that you receive from the church what you put into the church. It's a reciprocating 
process. You invest in the church. That's commitment to the church. It's seeing yourself as a member of the church. People are going to love you. Your experience in church is a direct reflection of your commitment to the body. And, and there are some that are fringe-type folks, stay out on the edge for a really long time, hopefully drawing back in now. No, I'm just kidding. If you've been on the fringe, it's like, it's kind of lonely out here. Yeah, it's lonely. Have you seen the world out there? It's horrible. I don't know any place I'd rather be on Sunday than here. Praise the Lord to come together. So we encourage you to draw closer to the body. All the blessings are in drawing closer to the body of Christ. With that, we need to correct a theological myth. This is a big one. This is a newfangled modern idea, I'd like to call it. It wasn't invented, well, it was invented, but it wasn't prevalent until about the last three or four decades. And uh, this myth has been extremely detrimental to those individuals who are lonely, those who don't feel they're apart, who stay out on the fringe, because they've been told a lie. And so we need to drive a stake directly into this myth's heart today and forever leave it in the past and put it in the rearview mirror. And, and this should all be worth your cost of admission today. Really should. You're going to like this. Please look with me now at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, looking at verse 15. And we look at this passage. What is being addressed here is the process and the progression of church discipline of an unrepentant sinner. That's what Matthew 18 is. The progressive steps, there are three of them. Involves three. And first, as you've recently learned when we studied through 1 Timothy, is that if you find a person in sin, or if he offends you, what do you do? You go privately to that individual. We all know that very well. Verse 15. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. You've won your brother. Case closed. Praise the Lord. What if he does not listen? If he doesn't, verse 16. You take two or three witnesses to confirm every fact. You take with witnesses. This is the basis of all Scripture for verifying evidence. Old Testament and New Testament. This is nothing new as Jesus gives this to the disciples here. This was in the law. This is written down. This carries over to the church. Deuteronomy 19.15 A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses... A matter shall be confirmed. That's how it is done, scripturally among God's people, Old Testament and New. So we validate accusations on the basis of two or three witnesses. This is the entire context of this, this passage in Matthew 18, is church discipline and restoration of a member. And as we know, Christians never interpret a passage or a verse apart from its context what the paragraph is actually saying. Because if you do, bad things happen. Bad things will happen. Context is king. That's how you uh, interpret passages. You don't interpret them in little slivers of verses. And in verse 17, this sinner refuses to listen. 
So the two or three witnesses present present the evidence then to the authority vested in the local church. And if there's still no repentance, verse 17, you remove him or her from the fellowship. Treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. This all describes a very unfortunate, a very uh, distressing situation of excommunicating a church member. You put them out from the fellowship. You prevent them from communion. They're no longer part of the body. That's what this is talking about. Very distressing. Nobody enjoys it. Pastors don't want to do it. We haven't had to do it since I'm here. We never want to have to do this. We want to see restoration. And it's a situation where the pastors and the elders would question themselves on whether what they're doing is right. Is what we're doing right? Should we have given it a little more time? Maybe gone to six steps instead of just three steps that are in Scripture. Are we overreacting? What would Jesus do? That's what we'd ask, right? So Jesus reassures us and tells us what he'd do right here. The fact is, Jesus finds sin against the body very serious, and he wants that person removed from the sanctuary of the church. He wants them removed. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, exact same scenario. Remove the wicked man from among you. If they won't repent, won't be restored, they're removed. That's what we're talking about. So our Lord gives this statement of endorsement because he knows the pastors are going to be like, is this really right? And in verse 18, Jesus says, what you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. And because of the seriousness involved, Jesus repeats himself in verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree, these two or three witnesses are members in good standing. Very important point here. If two or three If two of you agree, meaning two or three witnesses, it shall be done for them. Heaven responds on the basis of that. And you and I can trust that their testimony that they're giving, the two or three witnesses, is true on what? Jesus tells us on what basis. He adds a promise to this. Verse 20, For where two or three have gathered. Gathered here is sunago. It's a base word for synagogue. It's not synagogue. It's not the word for synagogue. There's a different word for that. This is the base word for gathering. It just means to gather. It's a root word. It means to meet together. It's a meeting. Where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Folks, let's put on our thinking caps here. Just for a moment. Who are the two or three They're the witnesses. The two or three are witnesses. What is Christ promising in this passage? He's promising his church, the leadership of his church, the people of his church, that as we gather two or three witnesses in his name, that means they're Christians. They're reliable. They're not just our second cousin Billy Bob from Arkansas or whatever. No, these are people we know, people that are trustworthy, people that have the facts. When they gather together in his name to provide evidence in agreement, we've talked about that before, we will sense it's like Christ himself is in their midst providing that testimony. We're going to be able to see what's right, what's wrong. 
We're going to be able to discern on whether their testimony is consistent on the basis of people that we know. Their testimony is going to be compelling when it comes to a sin that merits excommunication. Here's the point. In no way, shape, or form is Christ saying that wherever two or three Christians are gathered together, that you're having church. In no such way does he say that. This passage does not teach that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Any place two or three Christians are gathered is a church. Any place. How about two or three Christian businessmen who randomly meet on an airplane, and they find out they're Christian, they're sitting in a row, and they pray together for the two hours in between Dallas and Atlanta. They aren't having church. There are two or three Christians gathered together, but they're not having church. Who's the designated pastor? Acts 14, Titus 1 say that that every church in every location needs pastors appointed by other pastors and with the laying on of hands. How about, um, where's their pledge to reassemble regularly to one another? Not forsake the assembly of themselves together after they take off on that airplane. Not there. Where's a mutual commitment to use their spiritual giftedness that they have? To edify one another? To build up a work of Christ? When did they take part in the ordinances that unite Christians together? That's not having church. In addition, you know, Iva, Kathleen, and Rita getting together, meeting to, meeting to study a passage on Saturdays. Three Christians again together. That's not having church. That's a Bible study. That's what that is. Um, it's a discipleship activity that complements church. Jerry Beasley, you know, opening the Bible at home with his family, sitting there and studying through a passage. That's not church. That is a family devotional. Jerry's not the pastor of his family. He is the father of his family. Pastor Weiler, when he's at home, he is not the pastor of his wife and children. He is the husband and father while he's at home. He is the pastor while we are together at church. If a family stays at home at 10.30 to watch David Jeremiah... Sitting in the recliners. So you know we're going to have church at home. They're not having church. What they've actually done is forsaken the assembly of the saints together. That's what they've done. For you folks, especially younger folks, who've come in, this is the age that we're in today. It's worth a, a note. A lot of you all here are getting to be about college age. And you're going to go to college. And you're going to run into folks and you're going to possibly go up to Gainesville up here if you're going to be studying medicine or you're going to be going to these other colleges and you're going to run into to folks there from different backgrounds. And you're probably at some point going to see a little stone church across the road and your heart's going to compel you. It says, you know, local Christian church on the side. Your heart's going to compel you. It's like, you know what, I need to get into church. And you're going to tell some of your friends that you need to get into a local church to be part of it, to encourage other believers. And you might have a friend that says, oh, you don't need that. You and me, we can meet in the student union. I got a Bible. We can have church, just you and me. No, you can't. No, you can't. 
you can't believe the manipulation that is going on around, uh, out in our community. That's not having church. Meeting in the student union is not church. College folks, when you get off to college or you have to move away from home, find a church, a bona fide church. Plug in and be part of it. This just all comes full circle to how destructive this false notion of wherever two or three are gathered is having church. People who call themselves Christian use that as an excuse to skip church and not to become a member of a church, not to become involved with the church and just have church at home. They don't attend church. They see no need to become a member of a church. They don't accept godly teaching of a church. They don't contribute any money to a church. They don't volunteer to mop the church. They don't teach Sunday school class at the church. They don't use their giftedness to edify others in the church. Boy, that not being a member it makes things pretty convenient, don't it? I don't have to do anything not being a member. No call to endure people who look or act differently than us. No call to resolve conflicts in a godly and biblical manner because you never hang around with people who think differently from you. At least not while you're at home. You don't have any conflicts. Unless me, myself, and I get in a conflict. No urging to use your money in a responsible manner to further Christ's kingdom. No compulsion to attend to those who who go to those desperately boring prayer meetings. No need to worry about those who are hospitalized, who are aching, who need help. Never inconvenienced to hear about having to care for those less fortunate than, fortunate than yourself. No need to sacrifice anything, really. Remind me how any of this resembles Jesus? No, not at all like Christ. Which begs the question, if you don't like church, you're too good to church, for church. We've run into that. Ask some people up in North Dakota while we were up there in Mission. Ask, say, hey, would you like to go to this church over there? Because he was talking spiritual. Oh, we've been over there. We've grown out of that. What? You've grown out of church? You've got to be kidding me. How prideful is that? How do you de- demonstrate that you reach beyond yourself in order to love people if you don't meet with Christ's people, with God's redeemed people. How are you certain that you're even a Christian? Here's a couple of responses to that. You say, well, because I've confessed Jesus is Lord. If you read Matthew 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. That's not the gauge. Or you might say, um, oh, but I believe. I believe. What did James say? Even the demons believe. What does the scripture give? What does the scripture provide on how to know you're a Christian? Hint, it's in 1 John. It answers it this way. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. Take a look around. Do you love the brethren? Do you love Christ's body? That's a really good barometer. Do you love the people? It's a question you have to ask. Scripture continues, He who does not love abides in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us 
and that we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. How do you obey that sitting at home in the recliner? Forsaking the assembly? You can't do it. Do you see all of these tenets from Scripture? All over. Woven throughout the whole New Testament and Bible. Um, so I have to ask, if you're not a member here or anywhere, if you're visiting today, who are your brethren? Who do you see as your brethren? Is it us? Do you love us? Are you concerned about us? Do you have a compelling desire to be around us on a regular basis? Are you drawn to assemble with, with God's people regularly? To grow in unity? Or is coming here kind of loathsome? I don't really want to be around those Christian people. That's not a very reliable indicator. You know, I don't always feel jolly on Sunday mornings. I feel pretty good today. I'm not always jolly, but I always love seeing Christ's people. I always love seeing God's people. And, and uh, for those who are Christian here, you realize this. We can be pretty irritating at times, can't we? Sometimes we can really irritate one another, disagree on peripheral things. But those who are Christian, that indwelling spirit, it draws us together. It doesn't push us apart. We overcome ourselves. We can overcome our pride. We lay our lives down for the brethren. That's how we know we're a Christian. Church is for believers. Christians must be baptized. That's why we ask as you become a member or apply for membership that you be baptized and you're able to articulate articulate a word, articulate your faith in a personal testimony of conversion because membership in Christ's church, it's only for converted souls. Are you converted? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been changed? Has your heart been changed? Are you a Christian? That's the question. Jesus asked his disciples... Who do you say that I am? And what did Peter answer? He said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Matthew 16, 15. Christ's church is founded on the rock-solid testimony that Peter articulated. You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Do you believe that? The church isn't built on Peter. That's another myth that we'll talk about on a different Sunday. Christ's church is founded on the statement, the profession, the confession that Peter gave. That's what the church is founded on. So do you believe that? Christ is the long-anticipated fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures that He died for sin, that He was our substitute as God's Son, and that He rose from the grave. You have to ask yourself that question. Do you believe you're a sinner? Angel of God said to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why he came. 
saving his people from their sins. Do you realize that you need to be saved from your sins? Or are you just coasting? Everything just good? Or do you have a problem that needs to be reconciled? Because if you sense that you have a problem of sin that needs to be reconciled to God, you're in luck today. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward the Jordan River and he proclaimed, Behold, the Son of God who takes away, what? The sin of the world. Jesus is willing today to take away your sins. He's willing to wipe away your tears. And he's willing to bring you into his family as you repent, the members of the body of Christ. Locally represented by this church. Just a little plug there. We represent him. Will you finally accept that your, that your sin that you've enjoyed for so long, endured for so long, thought precious for so long, will you admit that that is actually a barrier to God and a barrier to reconciliation to God and man? That's a determination you have to make. Scripture says, while you have all this time been dead in your transgressions, means your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Christ makes you alive together with him, forgiving all transgressions. And he cancels out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. He who has an ear, let him hear. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awaken. Do you believe that? If you sense that Christ is working in your heart, you need to see me afterwards. Finally, for the rest of us concerning membership, we'll wrap up. In the scriptures, we find evidence that when one church would send a representative to another church, it's very common, it's at least represented that they would carry, and church history tells us this, that they would carry a letter of recommendation from their church that they were a member in good standing from their previous church. The pastor would write it out and send it along with and ask the pastor in the, in the church abroad to receive this person. Receive them as you would a brother. I wonder, is this where baptismal certificates came up? Ruth, any idea on that? These certificates that you're in good standing, these, these letters that you're in good standing. If you were to travel to a new church and have to move across the country, this isn't practiced much anymore. I've got one for my church. I didn't even know when they gave it to me exactly why they're handing that to me. Now I know. Rita and I have one. It has both our names on it for the years of service. Um... If you were to travel to a new church, what would your church write in that letter? What would it say? What would they have to say about you as they gave that letter to you and you were to take it on to the new prospective church? That's an interesting question. There will always be naysayers. Some will say, you know, Paul wasn't a member of any church. Sure he was. Of course Paul was a member of a church. Paul and Barnabas both were members in good standing in the church in Antioch. 
as they were sent down as representatives to the Jerusalem council, and then later on as they laid hands on them to send them out for mission work. Of course they were members in good standing in their church. No question about that. The other apostles in Jerusalem, they were members of the church that was in Jerusalem. All the apostles, before they went out. Apostles would never instruct us to do anything that they weren't willing to do themselves. In closing, we don't want to rush any of you into a decision. Pressure is not what this is about. I want to reiterate that. Membership is for those whose heart is ready. Certainly not for anyone who's not a Christian. Not for anyone who would consider themselves unequally yoked. We understand there are periods you go through those things. Very understanding. We simply want to know, here at Port St. Lucie Bible Church, who's on board? Who's on board and yoked and, and looking forward to the, to the years ahead in what we're doing here? We're going to talk about next week in local missions, following week in foreign missions and what that might look like in the days ahead. Who's with us? That's what we'd like to know. But the fact remains, membership is biblical, it's commanded, and it's essential to being in God's will. Our Lord thought that membership matters. Well, if anyone there still says, you know what, I don't care. I'm never going to sign up for anything as a member. Why don't you grab your wallet? Never? Really? Isn't the church better than this? I'd say it is. Let's pray.